0: Kramer, when Apple became the first American company to join the trillion-dollar club last month, I told you its rivals would not be far behind. Sure enough, today, Amazon ah. crossed the trillion-dollar threshold, even as it wasn't exactly a huge day for the average, they only falling 12 points. By the way, a stunning comeback, though, from its 150-point intraday decline. S&P edging down 0.17%, NASDAQ declining 0.23%. But even as Amazon keeps winning, up another 26 points, it's Fang, Compadre, Facebook. Keep sinking. Stock shed another four and a half bucks today. The House of Pain. Who ever thought it would have that address? And if you want to understand this market, you need to get your head around these two faces of Fang. My acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Now Alphabet. We need to know if Facebook is a broken stock or a broken company. Two very different things. And we need to know if Amazon really deserves this trillion-dollar valuation. Why don't we start with Facebook? Today, I caught a brutal downgrade from a very rigorous firm called Moffat Nathanson. They argue that Facebook's business model has gone bonkers. For years, we loved Facebook's model. They sell advertising, specifically advertising on content that you and billions of other users create for free for them. Compared to a traditional publisher, which actually has to pay people to write copy, Facebook's in a fantastic position. But now the Grim reapers visited this once frictionless model. Frictionless, their word, not mine. Because the social media titan now needs to police its content. And that's very expensive. Making matters worse, users are fleeing from Facebook to Instagram. And while they're both part of the same company, Instagram's got lower gross margins. And we don't want those. Sell, sell, sell. Combine all these flaws into a single stock and you get what Moffat Nathanson calls a toxic brew. Hence the downgrade. They think Facebook is basically a broken company. I disagree. Facebook's not a broken company, but it does have a very, very broken stock. Full disclosure: We own uh, Facebook from my charitable trust. Thankfully, we sold some higher, but we still got a position. It's painful. When the stock pulled back to 160 today, that one was, you know, underneath 170, closing at 171 and change. It's down 218 in July. July. I have to admit, it's tempting. Look cheap. After all, it's selling for 20.5 times next year's earnings estimates. You want some compare? You know, it's roughly the same valuation as Clorox, but Facebook's supposed to have much, much faster growth than Clorox, although not as predictable. The problem is investors no longer trust the earnings estimates for Facebook. If Facebook keeps cutting numbers, it doesn't really matter how low the stock does, goes. It won't matter. The growth-oriented investors who own this thing will just keep selling it and selling it and selling it. They'll hit every single bid. They'll keep knocking it down. Don't forget, this company had been growing its earnings at a 40% clip. Now they're talking about the possibility of 20% growth. still pretty magnificent. Presuming Mark Zuckerberg, CEO, can actually hit the target. And there's the rub not many people believe he can deliver. That's why the stock continues to just get slammed. Facebook is caught in a horribly painful process that we've seen many times over the years. Its shares are being transferred from growth investors to value investors. The shareholder base is changing right before our eyes. So Facebook can't bottom until all the growth chasers are gone and everyone left in the stock is a long-term shareholder searching for value. That's the definition of a broken stock, and it will probably stay broken for a little while, at least until we see the next quarter. Then maybe the value investors will get some vindication. Now, I know that may be cold comfort with the stock in free fall, but at some point it will bottom, hopefully not like that sound. Why? Remember, Facebook is not a broken company. It takes a lot to break a company with no debt tons of cash, and still real growth, even if that growth is slower than it used to be. It's just just a shame that Facebook's been its own worst enemy. The rapacious and cavalier attitude, sorry, the rapacious and cavalier attitude uh, to selling your data has put them in a real tough spot. If Zuckerberg had simply hired a major outside law firm to examine this issue, like I suggested, maybe he wouldn't be in the crosshairs every day. So the lead story of the Morning's New York Times was bad for them. They, they make it real hard to get out of the penalty box. And, and they'll be on the Hill tomorrow being peppered with questions. Again, I'm sure someone will ask about that Times story about terrorists using Facebook. I mean, the narrative is we like to term it. I, everyone used that term narrative now. It's so overused. But the narrative is bad. So let's switch. I, don't, I just got back. I don't want to be negative. Let's talk about what's working. Like the newest member of the Trillion Dollar Club. Let's talk Amazon. Here's a perfect example of what happens when Wall Street views a company not as an earnings per share situation where Facebook finds itself, but as what's known as a total addressable market or TAM play. In other words, Amazon's being judged based on the scale of the opportunity in each of its three core markets retail, the cloud, Amazon Web Services and advertising. In retail, they're just scratching the surface worldwide. In the cloud, Amazon Web Services is the largest and cheapest player in this rapidly growing industry. In advertising, they're incredibly effective at offering you targeted ads just at the point of purchase. And look, I'm not I'm not even talking about Amazon's opportunities in entertainment or distribution. Everyone's watching. You know, say, hey, where do you get your stuff this weekend? I mean, everyone says hey, Amazon. Whatever happened to Netflix? When you judge Amazon by its total addressable market, that trillion-dollar valuation, you know what? It seems too low, as long as the company can keep executing. Now, the confusion for many of you is the comparison between Amazon and its co-trillionaire. Where? <laughs> Never hard to find a trillion-dollar company, is it? Apple. Uh, why is one being valued based on its total addressable market opportunity while the others being valued on simple earnings? Because Amazon's earnings don't tell you very much. Amazon's a secular growth company that spends a fortune to expand its business. They could turn off that spending tomorrow and show much higher earnings per share numbers. But that would be a poor use of Amazon's capital. We want them to keep chasing revenue growth all over the place. The more money they throw at Amazon Web Services or advertising and retail, the better. Apple, on the other hand, is considered to be more of an episodic grower. Many still believe that the company lives and dies by the success of the latest iPhone iteration. You get a bomb of a phone, then the seemingly cheap stock could suddenly become a lot more expensive. I think that is the wrong way to look at this great company. The phones are just the razor. What I care about is the blade, the service revenue stream. If you want to back up your photos or listen to Apple Music or download any kind of apps, you're paying them for the privilege. Hey, you know what? You want to discover how valuable it is? Just have a, you know, I left the phone in my pants pocket, okay? And somehow it ended up in the washing machine. Anyway, it doesn't work if it goes through the washer. But I backed up my pictures. So as they keep adding new users, and right now I'm hearing that they might have as many as 700 million, uh, then the service, repre- uh, service revenue stream, t- that is a huge TAM, total addressable market. Yep, Apple's got a monster growth opportunity, and it's not getting the credit even up here that it deserves. What we're seeing right now in Apple is kind of the opposite of Facebook. Value investors are giving way to growth investors. Apple has so much cash, they can't just deploy it in their current business. So the company buys back stock like crazy, pays you a nice dividend. That's why value investors like it. But the accelerating revenue growth from the service business makes it a gross stock too. Now there's one area where Amazon handily beats uh, Apple, though, and that's political risk. For all of President Trump's tweets about how Amazon's ripping off the post office, small potatoes. Apple, on the other hand, has massive China risk if the trade war keeps escalating. Amazon's never really been able to penetrate China, which, as it turns out, is now a high quality problem. Bottom line, when you own a stock, you need to understand more than just the company. The shareholder base is every bit as important. Facebook's getting crushed as it transforms from a growth stock to a value stock. But these same growth investors still love and thirst after the shares of Amazon, which is how it could cross the trillion. Dollar mark today. Hey, before we go to calls, I just want to let you know that we will be bringing Mad Money on the road on Thursday. That's right, I'm heading home to Philadelphia to begin the countdown to kickoff. Please, if you're in Philly, whether you own Apple, whether you own Facebook, whether you're shorties, I don't even care. I want you to come by the uh, Comcast Center right on JFK Boulevard. Anyone remember when it was municipal? I'm so old. JFK Boulevard. I'll see you there. Bob in New Hampshire, Bob.
1: Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. 14-year-old daughter Carmela and I watch the show every night.
0: That's what I want, and I've been getting that more and more, and I'll tell you, it makes me thrilled. How can I help? Oh, awesome. My question tonight
1: is still right. I've done really well over the last few weeks on that stock, and should I sell, or is this bull going to keep on running?
0: All right. Um, Now, I want you to take half off. I want you to take half off because you've had a magnificent run. Canopy growth is the one that I've been involved We just caught another double in canopy. Let's not be greedy. I say, ka-ching, ka Dwayne in Texas. Dwayne.
1: A great big booyah from Kaufman, Texas, Jim. Man, I haven't been there I yet. Wanna, I want to first say thank you for teaching us how to do our homework and make more mad money. My That's... question is regarding Snap Incorporated. We've held the stock. Uh, since last year, following a $100 million deal with Time Warner, and it's steadily been a non-performer. question is, with the start of uh, Kristen O'Hara today as the VP of Global Solutions and the recent controversies Facebook is experiencing, should we hold on for recovery or dump it and take our losses? Thank uh, you, Jim.
0: A snap is today at its low. I try not to recommend selling stocks at they're low. I think if it bounces, which it could, uh, that might be your, a better chance to exit. It is not one of my favorites. I, I, I like uh, Twitter more than I like it. I think Twitter's come down too much. But, you know, my favorites remain Amazon, Alphabet, Apple. All right? Now, uh, growth and value can be a tricky thing. When growth switches over to value hands, let's just say it's perilous. But when value goes into growth hands, oh, what a beautiful sight. Only money tonight. Why the latest moves in the retail sector are leaving some analysts stuff? Then my take on the top stocks in one of the hottest sectors in the market, don't miss the continued coronation of the Cloud Kings. And it cleans up everything from oil spills to hazardous waste. And the stock's up 25% this year. Clean Harbors, it's back. Can it keep cleaning up Wall Street? i got the CEO. Stick with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: You know what's incredible about this amazing retail rally? Ah! The stocks keep running long after they report Amazing Quarters. That's highly unusual. They're kind of like the Energizer bunny. They just keep going and going and going. How is that possible? I think it's because the analysts themselves have never seen anything like it. The earnings beats here have been so huge that they don't even know how to craft the superlatives necessary to describe them. So how come none of these analysts just say, retail is the single best group in this market and you have to buy every one of them? It might be that they're afraid. They see the numbers, but they can't bring themselves to believe that things can possibly be this good. They've been burned by retail too many times. Plus, there are still some penalties for being wrong. If you decide that Dollar Tree had finally gotten its arms around the family dollar acquisition, well, that call would have blown up in your face. There was a perception that Best Buy couldn't possibly miss given how well it's been doing. Oops, nobody wants to be the guy who recommended Macy's at 40. How about if you believe that Gap Stores was using all that artificial intelligence and data mining they talked us about to come up with the right formula? And it was wrong anyway. Maybe you had the, wrong, uh, had the shoe on the wrong foot there with Foot Locker, as it was hard to imagine that they could screw up things so badly. Plenty of individual retailers have indeed dropped the ball. Still, with a spectacular best-in-show number, say from Lululemon, with Signet Jewelers delivering on its turnaround. Don't, don't believe today's downgrade, please. I'd say the real risk in retail is that you miss this stunning move. That's especially true since the downside for all but the worst retailers is pretty mild. I mean, look at Dex. Gave you a dip, then bounce right back. How about Children's Place, which was held down by short sellers initially, but then came roaring back, something I predicted given the innate strength of the same-store sales numbers and the extremely positive trajectory within the quarter itself. So the shorts were only overrun thanks to the amazing work of CEO Jane Elfers. I'm still trying to figure out the forensics of that Lululemon beat. I spent some time with them this spring. They were very bullish, but not so bullish that they could have seen such a massive blowout coming. A lot of that was about fashion, and fashion is hard to game. Put yourselves in the heads of some of these retail analysts. They really don't know what to do. They can't possibly go out and predict double-digit growth in stores off of one really great quarter. That is too risky. I, 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 I worry about that. So they pick their spots, like Goldman Sachs did today, with an embrace of Nordstrom, Kohl's, and TJX. Now, well, they've all run. But at least you got to start somewhere. The improvement in their own online businesses has made all three less susceptible to an Amazon annihilation. Of course, if you want to go down and out, better times are coming, and you really think that it can, nothing can lose, oh, oh, why don't you try Foot Locker? Uh, But beware of today's momentary decline in Nike in response to their sponsorship deal with Colin Kaepernick. While it's a divisive choice, I still have to believe that the people from Nike know what they're doing. Never made a lot of money betting against those guys. Oh, and, and let's not forget Kramer fave Walmart. It had one of the best quarters, and yet its stock has given up so much of its gains. Sure, Walmart's more expensive than it used to be. But it's also a better company than it used to be, even though its stock is now down 3% for the year. And that's all that matters. Long story short, at this point, the strength in retail should not come as a surprise to anybody. The analysts may be too afraid to fully embrace this run, but you don't need to imitate them. I take the other side of the trade. Much more mad money head, including my take on the Cloud Kings that continue to trounce the s 500. Can they maintain the throne? Then from chemical spills to oil and gas disasters, Clean Harbors is the company that manages some of the world's most hazardous messes. I'm so glad they're back. But can the stock help you clean up yourself? And it's never too late to say I'm sorry, I'm apologizing to Autodesk and the shareholders tonight. I'll tell you why. Stick with Kramer. Welcome to September. If you ask most professional money managers, they'll tell you that October is supposed to be the worst month of the year. Uh, for, wait a second, me? I can't wait until we get to October. That's how much I dislike September, which has been an awful month. Yes, this has typically been a bad time. In September, we tend to get hit with serious bouts of market-wide selling. Sell, 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 sell. Some of this is structural, as the mutual funds like to ring the register going to the end of their fiscal year in October. They're trying to beat all the other managers. More important, the fear of October is so great that it makes investors very jumpy and want to get ahead of it by selling in September. You're going to hear people come on TV and talk about a bloodbath next month, as though it's faded, and that kind of rhetoric really does hurt. And that's without even mentioning the specific issues, tariff, trade, that could smack us down at any moment if President Trump or China or Europe or Canada decide to escalate the trade war. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to inoculate. That's right. I'm going to prepare you for September. But it does tend to be especially tough uh, on the market's best performers. That's where you really see selling because people love to take profits on their winners at this time of year. So you should be ready to buy them into weakness as they go into the end of the year in particular. I want you to put the cloud kings on your shopping list. Cloud adoption is a huge secular theme that can't be brought down by tariffs or trade or Trump or anyone. It's that big. It's that important. It's that strong. These days, everybody's embracing the cloud to cut costs, improve customer relations, mine insights from data, and generally make their business more competitive. And that's why the cloud kings have been such fabulous long-term performers. These are exactly the kind of stocks that should bounce the hardest after a big sell-off. And, yes, remember, I'm not including Amazon. I talk about that at the top of the show, and that's the old McCloud King, but I don't even think it's like a cloud ace, all right? Anyway, who are these royal players? Why don't we take them one by one? We're going to start with the most controversial, at least for this evening, workday. It just reported. This company's done so much to put human resources and financial management under the cloud, saving companies millions and millions of dollars. I liked tonight's quarter, which included a raise in 2019 fiscal revenue, but there were some nitpickers glomming onto some subscription sales forecasts that didn't meet expectations, and the stock selling off after the close. And that's when you pounce on a king. I want you to be ready for any weakness tomorrow to buy, because there's nothing wrong with Workday and much that's right. Second, many people think of Adobe as a publishing business because they know Acrobat or Photoshop or Flash, but it's really more of a cloud play that helps other companies present their wares online. CEO Shantanu Narayan has a vision, and it's a vision that all companies need a cloud strategy for the marketing. Adobe helps businesses understand and connect with their customers, and that's essential if you're going up against, say, uh, Amazon, Okay, Adobe's up 52% year-to-date, trouncing the 8% gain in the S&P 500 over the same period. I think Adobe's a first-round pick no matter what, and it rallied another three points today. Autoplay comes up Adobe. That's a reference to fantasy football. Anyway, third, Red Hat is a laggard, at least for the Cloud Kings. It's only up 24.5% this year. In any other industry, that would be some incredible performance. I like to think of Red Hat as an enabler. An enabler because it's a subscription-based business that helps other businesses onboard the cloud more efficiently. Companies sells all sorts of open source software, but they make the real money from selling service subscriptions to keep that software running smoothly. The thing about Red Hat is that every quarter feels like a hard-fought battle, especially the last one, which sent the stock plunging from 165 to 132 in a matter of days. Since then, though, it's been slowly working its way back up, step by step, inch by inch. Slowly, this one goes higher. I think it remains a bottom. And these levels, well, I got to tell you, it rallied another buck at 77.76 today. You got to get in. You got to get in before it gets all the way back. (laughs) Forth, Benny off salesforce.com, which we own for my Chapel Trust. You can follow all of our moves by joining the actionalertsplus.com club. Salesforce delivered a ridiculously strong quarter last week. I was away. I I told my wife how great the quarter was. Not that that did good to anybody. Company had 21 billion remaining performance obligations. What used to be called future revenues under contract. It confused people. Suddenly, RPO, it was like, like run-pass option. I mean, that's what people thought it was. No, it's a new metric. The newness of the term and the conservative nature of the guidance threw people off the scent here, and it didn't help that the stock had run going into the quarter. Hey, look, in three weeks' time, we're going to be out of Dreamforce in San Francisco. That's a huge cloud conference. Just a uh, Regina, yes. uh, asked by executive producer. Yes. Do we have hotel rooms? All right, because it is the hardest hotel room I have never. I mean, like I'm waiting to get on a cruise ship. It's the toughest hotel ticket in the world. Thank you, Regina. Anyway, sorry, just, I had to get that done because if I don't have a room out there, I'll be sleeping on the sidewalk. Anyway, I recommend picking up some Salesforce before that event. Stock's up 50%, 50% for the year, not too shabby. Every pass pullback has been a buying opportunity. The Salesforce Dreamforce has been a fantastic time to buy. I don't think this dip will be any different. Fifth, ServiceNow is the least visible of the cloud kings because it's all about automating all sorts of back office functions, basically making the enterprise run more smoothly with the power of good record keeping. I thought the stock might skip a beat after Frank Slootman, one of my absolute favorite CEOs, retired last year. But the new CEO, John Donahoe? Oh, man. Hey, sorry, Frank, because I know you watch, but Donahoe's doing an unbelievable job. And that's why ServiceNow is up 54% for 2018. I know you're proud of him. was the right call. That said, I think it's gotten too hot to chase up here particularly because it rallied three bucks. I mean, it's, it, it closed above 200 today. Let's give it a chance to come down. Six, what about, uh, what about Splunk? Well, What can I say about Splunk, another guest of the show constantly? This analytics company lets businesses get answers from their data without having us know all the questions to ask beforehand. Got that from the website, end quote. For example, if you're a retailer competing with Amazon, you want Splunk on your team. Now, here's why we call them kings. When Spunk reported six months ago, the quarter was widely panned. Well, I thought the negativity was ridiculous. So it should have come as a, shouldn't have come as a shock when these guys trounced the estimates last week. Stock roared right back. It's now at 55% year-to-date. Now, this one, maybe it's gotten a little too hot to buy, too. Uh, you get any sort of sell-off. This one is great. Doug Murray, congratulations. I never doubted you. Clowns did, not me. So which king can be bought right now without hesitation? All right, I'm going to give you the one. It's VMware, VMW. And now I don't just say that because COO Sanjay Poonin came on the show and told me I should call these stocks Kramer Cloud Kings because he didn't want me to lose bragging rights. I like VMware because its virtualization software is a crucial low-cost way for companies to go digital and onboard the cloud. Still, it's been the weakest of the cloud, king. It's up a shabby 22% year-to-date, even as, in many ways, it has the best growth prospects. VMware is lagged because it has a convoluted ownership history. It belonged to EMC, which was bought by Dell, and now there's this widespread but, I think, incorrect belief that eventually Dell will cram down the company's shares. That's why I consider VMware a buy. I don't think it's going to happen. Bottom line. These are all strong companies riding a giant secular growth wave that's still early. So when you hear buy on weakness, you need to think of the cloud kings. And given that this is September, I expect us to get some serious slip sliding that gives you a chance to pull the figure, pull the trigger on any one of your favorite kings of the cloud. Ron in Pennsylvania. Ron. Jim, how are you doing?
1: I am and doing well. Formerly long-suffering Eagles fan here. Think L3, man. We're going to do another one.
0: Man, I tell you, anyway. I'm just so fired up about Thursday. I, I, I intend to not sleep uh, between Wednesday and, and Saturday. And you know, I want you to come see me at the Comcast Center because we're doing a special blowout show from the Comcast Center. How can I help?
1: Oh, that would be great. Yeah. That would be terrific. I want First, everyone I to, to go. thank you for your perspectives on both Square and Altasian over the last year. Uh, I've been building positions in both for a long time. They're my two biggest holdings. It's been great. However, the primary reason I'm calling is I'm trying to understand the trading action in Dropbox over the last six weeks or so. It got murdered along with the red hat earnings yeah. announcement, and it looks like a ski slope ever well, since. Well, look,
0: look, Ron, let's call as we see it. I remember when Home Depot dropped to 192, and I said you had to buy it. The stock was wrong. Remember when I, I said that uh, Splunk was a winner and everyone thought it was a loser? S- same thing, same exact thing with Dropbox. It's a buy. By the way, I want to thank the fellow who bought me a Mescal in Sonoma last week when he said I bought Square because of you and a bunch of other stocks. So anyway, thank you to everybody who thanks me. If we made you some money. And don't be afraid to. That's okay too. September is typically a very tough month, but it doesn't have to be if you got this game plan. I, I want you to use any weakness to buy these solid kings of the cloud. They are still in the early innings. What's more mad money yet. From oil spills and natural disasters, Queen Harbors helps manage the mess. And with the first tropical storm of the season threatening the Gulf Coast, is it prepared to clean up? I'll talk to the CEO. Then it's time for a mea when it comes to, oh, Autodesk. I'll tell you why. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day was squawk on the street. Live from post nine at the NYSE. You were really itching to get back to work, I can tell.
0: I, I, I yeah. I've been practicing forever. I mean, you don't I, need I, to have a Florida State game to know that it's time. But nothing. You're what's all, what's the matter? Just
2: take a deep breath. That's <laughs> yes, right. Let me just off. sneak in. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: When the price of oil spikes, like it did this morning, it allows all sorts of stocks to rally that you don't think about. And I'm not just talking about producers and drillers. The umbrella of higher oil prices is much bigger than that. Take Clean Harbors, CLH for you, home gamers. Long-time viewers might remember that Clean Harbors is the leading play in end-to-end hazardous waste management. They clean up after all sorts of disasters, everything from oil spills to, say, hurricanes. They also help energy producers and industrial companies with environmental cleaning. Now, Clean Harbors uh, gets a ton of business from oil and gas companies, two very messy industries, by the way, as are chemicals, big industry for them. So when oil prices collapsed in 2014 and 2015, this stock did fall out of favor with the Wall Street fashion show. Lately, though, the energy industry has been making a comeback, and so has Clean Harbors. Companies reported two very strong quarters in a row, and the stock's now up 27% year-to-date. Could it have more room to run? Let's check in with an old friend of the show, Alan McKim. He's the chairman and CEO of Clean Harbors. Get a better sense of how this company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. McKim, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Oh, great to be here with you, Jim. Thank you.
0: You know, Alan, I've been thinking, uh, and I was looking at your uh, deck, which is really very enlightening. You have become the the ultimate sustainability company for our environment these days.
1: Well, we really have been focused on recycling, and uh, we, uh, we really have built out a, a wonderful platform, particularly with our safety claim platform. We're now able to go out and collect over 250 million gallons of uh, hazardous waste oil and re-refine that, recycle it, and make it back into a great uh, product that we can uh, sell back to our customers and really use it over and over again. And that's just one example of, I think, our sustainability. Uh, was it a total of uh, $3.1
0: billion? Gallons refined that goes right back in, say, for motor oil that would have been perhaps end up in uh, in the ground.
1: Well, it's, it's not that much. Uh, the, the market is about one point two billion gallons, and we handle about 250 million gallons of that product. So we've got, you know, strong market share, about 700 trucks out there servicing about 300000 customers.
0: Right. Now, you also have built, a, uh, in many years, an incinerator, of which I know at one time we thought incinerators were not the most environmentally, uh, let's say, friendly way to dispose waste. It looks like the EPA has decided incinerators are the way to go, and you've got the first new one in 20 years?
1: We have. uh, Now, we try to recycle and reuse as much as we can, but we know that there is a lot of waste material that just has no beneficial reuse. And We operate about seven incinerators now, but the latest one that we built in El Dorado, Arkansas, $120 million investment, meets the new MAC-2 standards, and really focused on the chemical industry, because those are the industries that really rely on us to provide a safe disposal for very difficult materials that they're now uh, generating.
0: All right, Uh, Alan, I just came back from the Gulf, actually right off a bunch of oil rigs uh, in Grand Isle. And I could see that if a hurricane uh, came and it was very strong, you could have a lot of destruction down there. Does Clean Harbor stand by right now before a hurricane and say, we are ready? Are you down there?
1: Oh, certainly. We have 450 locations in North America close to 15,000 workforce. Uh, we handled the BP spill uh, in, a, in a very large way, as an example. But we, we handled about 7,000 emergencies a year. Uh, and, and, and if we uh, were needed, certainly we would mobilize our workforce to handle any kind of event, uh, as we have in the past uh, uh, events like uh, Hurricane Katrina and Rita. All right, now, you mentioned
0: the chemical industry. I kind of drill down on that. One of the theses of Mad Money is that we are an industrial renaissance, and it's really focused on natural gas and refining and chemicals. This is a great business for clean harbors, correct?
1: It's a great business. We're seeing a lot of new opportunities. The economy is really strong. Uh, we're seeing new chemical plants being built in the Gulf, and uh, our incineration uh, utilization is running very strong. The volumes of hazardous waste being collected and handled by us are at record amounts right now. So we're really excited about uh, the economy right now.
0: Now, the last quarter, actually the last two quarters, you've been guiding up. A lot of people were were uh, are now impressed that Clean Harbors has become the old secular, uh, secular grower that we used to expect. Kind of got sidetracked a little bit, but it seems like with that last acquisition of the old what you've done is been able to put together a string of quarters that indicates that you are not that, even though the growth of the economy is good for you, that you really are back on the secular growth path that we always remember Clean Harbors as being on.
1: Yeah, we've, we're having a, a pretty good run here, but but quite frankly, you know, we, we bought Safety Clean back in 2012, probably at the top of the market. And and as you mentioned earlier, the, the crash of uh, the crude oil market really had a devastating impact on our business when it went below $40 a barrel. So, We've really worked our way back. We've got our cost structure aligned, and Safety Clean is really doing a tremendous uh, business right now, and we're really excited about its prospects. So even though that acquisition took a little while to get going, uh, it it really is paying off for us. And uh, our oil and gas business is stronger now. Uh, We've moved a lot of our assets out of Canada. We're down in the Permian. Uh, We met uh, back in North Dakota there several years ago, as you remember, and... uh, we see some life coming back there as well. So we're, we're excited about what's happening with oil right now.
0: Well, congratulations on the sustainability. This is a stock that I know millennials who watch should be thinking, maybe I should be with Clean Harbors because the numbers are really terrific. That's Alan McKinney, Chairman and CEO of Clean Harbors. A great long-term growth story again. May have money. back back after the break. Mad Money's going on the road to my hometown of Philadelphia for the big NFL kickoff. We're celebrating my team. Go Eagles! They're ours! If we're there! We'll be talking football. We'll be talking socks. Hey, two of my favorite things. I run with the Bulls, but I fly with the Eagles. I'm going home for the big game.
2: Mad Money Countdown to Kickoff, Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern on CNBC. Booyah! And don't miss the game. The Falcons versus the Eagles,
0: Thursday on NBC. Indeed, it is the countdown to kick off. Mad Money is hitting the road in my hometown, Philadelphia. I want to see you at the show. Join us at the Comcast Center in Center City this Thursday, starting at 345. Be part of the action. Show us open to the public, so come with your questions, and you can be featured in this special edition of Mad Money, Fly Eagles Fly. And it is now time. It's time for the lightning round. We take the calls. We play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skid? That is up for the night. Because old I'm starting with Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call and doing so much for us, novice investors. Oh, my okay. Question I do it for all investors. I learned, too. J, SLB. I turned a trade into a losing investment. I am down 20%. And... I'm wondering if I should No, no, don't say it. You actually want to be a buyer Slumber's A, not a seller. We came out this uh, afternoon for uh, club members of AxeOldersPlus.com and said don't give up on this. The CEO was more negative than he had been before about the Permian. I think it's an opportunity, 3% yield. Let's go to Ralph in Texas. Ralph.
2: Hello, Jim. Hello from Colleyville, Texas. What are your thoughts on... Tom um, Scope Holdings.
0: Nah, holding company for uh, optics and for communication. Why not just go by Cisco? And I say that grudgingly because Chuck Robbins is a huge Atlanta Falcons fan, and I will be seeing him at the big game. Let's go to Steven in Arizona. Steven. Booyah, Jim. I love your show. Thank you. i to get you a on Tyson Foods, TSN. No, Ixnay on Tyson. They missed, the last cu- they missed the last quarter badly. I prefer in that sector... Ha, they figured out some millennial buying patterns. Diane in Colorado. Diana!
2: Hello, Jim. Diana. I'd like to know, I am so addicted to the spouse Summer market here in Parker, Colorado. I know it's a small company around here, but I wondered what you think. They're so savvy in their merchandising,
1: their customer service. I just love them.
0: Who is it? What company? Hello? Farmer's Market. Oh, Sprouts Farmer's Market. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they're the ah, independent ah, of their Whole Foods. And I've got to tell you, the stores are great. I had the pleasure of visiting one. And yes, you are dead right. Let's go to Jill in Florida. Jill! Hi, Jim. Jill. Yes.
2: I wanted to know, I really love your show. I Thank want you. some information on uh, Vale Resort, MTN. Uh, no. I, I love the show.
0: It is, it is. I, I've been recommending this thing, I mean, literally forever. Uh, this is just an absolutely terrific play on basically the outdoors and experiential economy. And that's what it's going to stay as. Let's go to Suleiman. Suleiman uh, from New York. Suleiman. Jim Kramer, big, big, big boy. Right back at you. Uh, my question is, Kim Morgan with the No, and you know, electrical. look, these pipeline companies, I got to tell you, we need a lot of pipelines to the Permian and out of the Permian. But until we get some uh, and, uh, get some more consolidation this group, I can't recommend it. Just can't. I'm going to go to Mike in California. Mike. Hi, Jim. Appreciate Hi. you taking my question of on course. Activision Blizzard. Oh, my eSports is going to be so huge. They are in it. Battle Royale. It's, everything's coming their way. I think Activision Blizzard, Now we sold it for the trust. We'd love to buy it back. Please, take two. Equally as good. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim.
2: Good afternoon, Kramer. My name's... Oh, Happy uh, related uh, Labor Day. I was going to know about Citigroup and how do I know uh, what the value, book value is?
0: Okay, look, I think that Michael Corbett is doing a remarkable job. I think they're buying back stock left and right. I think this is one of the cheapest... No, no, it's the cheapest bank stock. My travel trust owner, you can follow along at excellentplus.com club members, and that. Ladies and the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning
2: Round. IS SPONSORED BY T.D. AMERITRADE.
0: AS YOU COME BACK FROM LABOR DAY WEEKEND, YOU KNOW WHAT IT'S TIME FOR? AN APOLOGY. Yes, I owe you an apology. I'm always coming out here telling you if you want to succeed as an investor, you need to have conviction and patience. If you believe in a high-quality company, you should be prepared to stick with its stock, even when the market turns against it for a brief period of time. Case in point, Autodesk. Boo! I'm booing me. Don't worry, when we go to the Eagles, I won't use that button. Here's a company that is the undisputed king of computer-aided design software. It's the kind that's used in architecture, engineering, construction, manufacturing, even the entertainment industry. I loved the stock of Autodesk. I told you it was the best technology company you'd never heard of. I pounded the table on the stock repeatedly. Buy, 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 buy! buy, buy. Said their embrace of the cloud-based business model would translate into monster earnings growth down the road. Similar to what you've seen from other software companies that did the same thing, like Adobe. How about that stock up again? Autodesk stock was a terrific performer until it wasn't. Late last November, the company reported a seemingly disappointing quarter, emphasis on seeming, and the stock just absolutely got beaten around the head. In response, I got nervous. Yeah, this. And I told you Autodesk needed to prove itself again. I said this had become a show-me stock. I warned you to be cautious. And that, by the way, was just a huge mistake, which is why I owe both you and the folks who run Autodesk an apology. Since I lost faith in the stock early last December, it's rallied from $106 to $153. Giving anyone who stuck with it a 43% gain, I should have stuck by my guns. I come out here all the time and tell you about stocks I did well in, right? So if I have no credibility unless I say, talk about things like I did wrong, like telling you that I was nervous about Autodesk. So let's unpack everything I did wrong, everything Autodesk has done right. First off, when I recommended Autodesk in February of last year, I was crystal clear about why I liked it. The company sells what some people think is insanely expensive enterprise software that's nevertheless worth every penny. Buying Autodesk products up front, the old license-based software model, could set you back thousands upon thousands of dollars. Again, if you need to design a house, or a new car, or a suspension bridge, then there's no replacement for Autodesk, none. These guys are so dominant in this business that you know, that, you know what their number one competitor is? Well, it isn't another company. It's just pirated versions of their own software. So in a bid to reduce piracy, they rolled out a new business model. Rather than charging clients thousands of dollars up front for their software, Autodesk switched to a cloud-based software-as-a-service model, SaaS model, like Salesforce, where they charge you hundreds of dollars a month for a subscription. That makes the product more affordable to small businesses who may not have thousands of dollars to pay up for a software license up front. But over the long haul, it also means Autodesk makes more money from each customer. Plus, it's harder to pirate software that you're getting via the cloud. Regular viewers know that I love this kind of subscription-based business model for enterprise software, which is why this apology hurts even more. Adobe made the same exact transition. I got that right. Their sales and earnings exploded higher, as did their stock price. And that's why I recommended Autodesk a year and a half ago, praising the company to high heaven. When Autodesk reported a blowout quarter a few months later and its stock pole vaulted up 15% in a single session, I took a little victory lap on the show. I patted myself on the back, you know, kissed myself, that kind of thing, for predicting that Wall Street would finally start giving this company the credit it deserves. I even said that you should wait for a pullback to buy more into weakness. That, in retrospect, was hubris. Not because it was wrong, but because when the pullback came, I did not stick to my guns. Pride goeth after a fall. Okay, where did I go wrong? Autodesk did, uh, did report a clunker of a quarter late last November. And the stock had run dramatically, which meant management needed to deliver another blowout or else it would go back down. Instead, Autodesk delivered a tiny beat, of disappointing guidance. Everyone freaked out. Management did slash their full-year guidance. Hey, that included lowering the high end of the subscription forecast by about 4%. I've got to tell you where I'm from. When you do that... <laughs> If that was all, I probably would have stuck with it. But the company also made some moves that I found totally unnerving. Autodesk announced a restructuring plan. Told us they were going to lay off 13% of their workforce. Typically, businesses don't unveil major restructurings when everything's going well. Of course, Autodesk told us that everything was okay. Explaining this move was purely about making sure they could keep funding their transition to the cloud. Long story short, I got spooked. I still believe in the long-term story. But I told you I had less conviction, and I explicitly warned you against buying into weakness as there could be more pain ahead. The house
2: of pain.
0: Basically, I downgraded Autodesk from a buy to a hold after it plunged from 130 to 106 in a matter of days. These are situations where I usually say, buy. I didn't. That was my first mistake. I knew this transition could be a bumpy ride. We saw the same thing with Adobe, but I allowed myself resolved to be shaken. I I was resolved about that even during the first sign of adversity. If I had had real conviction, I would have seen the sell-off in Autodesk as the buying opportunity turned out to be. My second mistake, I called Autodesk suddenly a show-me stock. But when the company showed us that it's doing great, I didn't circle back to it. And look, I had plenty of chance to correct myself. When Autodesk reported in March, the stock roared higher, even as the subscription numbers looked weaker than expected. I should have looked closer at the time, though. Because when you drilled down, there was a lot to like. The key here, Autodesk's annualized recurring revenue. That was the metric. It was hugely important for a subscription business. And the stock rocketed higher, up 25% for the year. Total annualized recurring revenue from subscriptions more than doubled. And CEO CEO Andrew Anagnost, he told us that the growth rate was actually accelerating. Yes, ARG, accelerated revenue growth. Remember why I got spooked here. The number of new subscription additions seemed to be slowing, but that was the wrong metric to watch. Autodesk adding fewer total customers because more clients are switching from individual products to higher-value industry collections. Instead of buying separate subscriptions for everyone who uses the software, they were signing up more expensive company-wide subscriptions. So the total number of subs, which is what I was looking at, wrong metric, misleading. What we care about is how much money they're making from subscriptions, and those numbers were fabulous. Fast forward to late March, and Autodesk holds a pretty darn bullish analyst day, with management talking about recurring revenue and the market opportunity they have in the construction industry. Now, the next quarter didn't really seem to move the needle, meaning I had yet another chance to buy an underappreciated stock. I did nothing. Less than two weeks ago, Autodesk reported a monster blowout. Company earning 19 cents a share. Wall Street was looking for just 16 cents. And, and that all-important annualized recurring revenue number that I wasn't paying attention was up 28% year-over-year. That's a market acceleration. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast and gave you very bullish guidance for the next quarter. Just a tsunami of terrific numbers. Stock spiked 15% on the news. And while it's pulled back a few bucks from those levels, I actually like that, by the way, it's been a remarkable winner. And, and you know what? As much as I hate to chase when you look at the out years this stock, Fiscal 2021, 12 months ended January 21, uh, 2021, the stock's only trading, I know, only at 30 times uh, future earnings estimates. It's pricey, but it's not absurd. Bottom line, when you find a fabulous long-term story like Autodesk, and I come out here and I like to find them, and the company seems to hit a speed bump. Don't be so quick to give up on it as I did. I let the action in the stock of Autodesk discourage me, and I ended up telling you not to take advantage of an amazing buying opportunity. Mia culpa. This is a great company that deserved the benefit of the doubt, and I never should have lost conviction given how good the management team is. If you can get a a bit of a pullback here, I'd be a buyer. But more important, shame on me for getting Autodesk so wrong. Please stick with me. I'm ready for Thursday. Are you? I like to say this always a bull market summer. I promise you I'm just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm
1: Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.